welcome to episode 598 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. And we're back. Is this three weeks in a row? It is. I'm very excited. And we have two, two, count them, two, (laughs) two feedback items from our listeners, which we're very excited about. How did they get that feedback to us, Josh? They can send us email just like you can uh, at entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. All right. I'm going to share a harrowing story from Tim. Tim has a warning for us all when doing DIY work. He says, hey, guys, I thought I'd share a few pictures of a near disaster I had this weekend while drilling through a cabinet to run Ethernet cable. I forgot that a couple years ago, I had mounted a surge protector on the backside of the cabinet to plug in some computer gear and got a shocking reminder when my two-inch hole saw produced a shower of sparks and then smoke. I immediately realized my mistake and was able to avoid further damage by unplugging the surge protector. The moral of this story is to always double check where you're drilling, even if you're a very experienced and comfortable DIYer like myself. Um, wow. <laughs> so he sent pictures and he kind of created a mess and a nice big hole in the back of his surge protector that scared the hell out of me because (laughs) I mean, this is how you start fires, I think, or maybe electrocute yourself. And I'm really glad that Tim didn't. Yeah, that is terrifying. Uh, I, I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm not surprised that he didn't remember that there was a power strip back there if he did it a couple of years ago. I'm more surprised that he didn't glance at what was behind the TV stand before he just started drilling. Like well, I would I would have been worried that like I had wires hanging down back there or something like that. That's what I would have been worried about. Right, right. And we don't know anything about how big this TV stand is and is it completely obscured and so you know, the six inch wide thing, he has no visibility into what's going on in the middle, in the back. And I, I mean, I, but yes, good advice. Check your environment before you drill. <laughs> really good advice. And we're not mocking you. Believe me, Tim, no. I, I saw this and I really freaked out. And I'm very glad that you and everyone else in your home is safe. Uh, he also says, by the way, thanks for the time you invest in the community with your podcast. It's one of the few shows I listen to within a day of release, which is awesome. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, I appreciate that. There there are not very many podcasts that I listen to that I would say the same thing about, the, the part about listening to within one day of release. Uh, so that that means a ton. We we appreciate that a lot, Tim. So uh, thank you. Keep listening and uh, keep safely DIYing yourself into a better home entertainment center. Yes. All right. One more message. This is from Joe. He says, hi, Josh and Richard. It's Joe. Good friend of the show. Huh? So he says, I guess I agree with him, though. He's, he's a pretty good friend <laughs> of the show. <laughs> so he says, For my office TV, a 55-inch TCL 5 series, 
I bought a rolling floor stand. This is in regard to our our news, maybe not news, but talk last week uh, about Richard buying a floor stand for his TV when he moved it to uh, another room in his house. So he says he bought a, a rolling floor stand and he said, this comes in handy when we want to share the TV and sound bar with the guest room. Fantastic idea. He said this setup was key when I got COVID and my wife isolated upstairs and avoided getting it. We have a first floor master bedroom, which she gave to me to isolate in. And like that is super smart. Like if if you get COVID or something like that, you don't have a whole lot of time to figure stuff out and you don't want to be inconveniencing your family if you're the one trying to isolate. So Super smart, like pretty much anybody could just roll this thing to another room. Uh, love that. Uh, the The model that he bought was 135 bucks when he got it. Uh, he gave us the link to the model that he bought. It supports TVs up to 65 pounds, which frankly, it's probably just about a- any TV made within the last few years, right? Because TVs just aren't very heavy anymore. Uh, he also says, side note, if you're using a home office chair often, I strongly up, uh, recommend upgrading the wheels of the chair to rollerblade style wheels. They are so much smoother and they don't require a mat on hardwood floors. And he also gave us a link to these. Can can agree, can confirm. My best investment in my office desk setup in the past couple of years was replacing the wheels on my Aeron chair, by the way, which also like by default comes with really nice wheels with rollerblade wheels. I highly recommend the clear wheels because they also won't scuff your floor in any way. And I highly recommend that you never, ever, ever wear them or ever uh, sit on that chair wearing uh, no shoes, wearing uh, bare feet, because y- they can pinch your feet something awful, and they hurt really, really bad. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, be aware of that. That's my little tip for the night. I I did use wheels like this when I had uh, my office in a room that just had hardwood floors, and I agree. They were great. Uh, I never pinched my feet in them, Um but I took them off when I bought my new house and my office has carpeting now. And they they felt like they were maybe doing more damage to the carpet than regular wheels. So, but if you have hardwood, they're good. Com- yep. Kind of completely irrelevant to this podcast, but good, good information. Good regardless. tip. <laughs> right. Okay. We'll have links to all of these in the show notes. If you're interested in the wheels, uh, the rolling TV stand or anything else that we're, we're talking about here tonight. So let's get on with the news for the rest of the show. It's finally the time of year when all of those TVs that we talked about at CES in January are now available and people can try them out. Because <laughs> we're halfway through the year. Exactly. <laughs> so our favorite go-to reviewer for TVs for years, for years, has been uh, over at CNET, a, a gentleman by the name of David Katzmeyer. He's been doing it forever. He yep. is a fantastic process, um, a great eye for this stuff. He's the person uh, to read when it comes to 
TV reviews, and he's reviewed one of the more recent ones that we've talked about, which is the new Vizio M-series Quantum X line of TVs. This is the the Vizio M series has pretty much always been their mid-range of TVs and by mid-range we really mean like basically the second highest. There are actually at least in the past have been even more tiers, many more tiers below the M series, but the P series has always been the top, the M series is in the middle, which has usually been a really good value line of TVs. And turns out the M-series Quantum X TVs, and that's important because there are ones with M now that aren't this Quantum X, so you got to be looking for the Quantum X here. Uh, they're good again. They're really good again. So uh, he specifically reviewed the 65-inch model. He didn't review the 55-inch because it doesn't exist. They weirdly didn't do a 55-inch, and uh, and. We we talked about this when they were first announced a few months ago. They do have a 50-inch model that is very different from the other TVs in this line in that it is a 240 hertz panel, which is cool if you're using it for gaming, yeah, specifically for gaming. Yeah, for, for PC gaming. But the other features, like the, the video quality features and stuff, it's not going to be as good for watching movies and things like that. So. Right. Kind of stay away from that. And instead, look at the 65-inch or bigger model. And so the 65-inch, it is a quantum dot LED TV. It's not mini LED or micro LED like some of the other higher-end TVs that are out there on the market. It's not OLED. It's still LED, but it's quantum dot. And when we're talking about LED TVs, one of the biggest things that we're always talking about regarding picture quality is... What's the the local dimming situation look like here? And in this case, it is a full array local dimming setup, which just means that there are multiple zones of light behind the screen to help light up the back panel. But you got to have a lot of them for it to work well. The 65-inch model has 30 zones of lighting, which is a pretty good number. It's definitely uh, a higher number than you see on most mid and low-end TVs out there. And they're also apparently pretty bright. So David Katzmeyer says that it it gives really good contrast and a really bright picture. And the the contrast thing is what we're really talking about there with with the full array local dimming because it's basically one light source to light up an entire section of the TV. So the smaller they are, the more di- discreet that lighting can be. And to keep the darker areas dark and the brighter areas bright, this is the thing that OLEDs do perfectly because on an OLED TV, every single pixel is individually lit. It's not the case here. It's also not the case. Well, it is the case with mini LED uh, because mini LEDs are individually lit. Well, sort of, basically. <laughs> it's easiest to think of them that way. So this works pretty well while also being bright, which is one thing where OLEDs typically. Uh, don't do quite as well as LED TVs. They don't typically get quite as bright. So this has good contrast and a nice bright picture. It also, for all of you gamers out there, is a 4K panel with a native 120 hertz refresh rate, and it supports variable refresh rate uh, through its HDMI 2.1 
input. So if you've got a PS5 or you've got an Xbox Series X, this is a really, really great option for you. He compares it to uh, the TCL 6 series that is mini LED. That TV is brighter. It has slightly better picture quality. Uh, Those are his words, not mine. Um, And the, the TCL has Google TV when one of the biggest things that Katzmeyer knocked the, the new Vizio on is the software that is built in. Vizio software has really never been great, but if all you're looking for is Google TV, you can buy a Google TV with Chromecast right. for $50. Right. right. So You don't buy a Vizio TV for the experience. You're going to plug no. your own stuff in. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Right. So this new Vizio MQX uh, is is available now, and the 65-inch model is 850 bucks. You want to know how that compares to the TCL 6 series that's the same size? The TCL is 100 bucks more. So for 100 bucks more, you get that mini LED, slightly better picture, slightly brighter picture, and Google TV. Is it worth it to you? I don't know. It'd be it'd be really nice to see them side by side. But if David Katzmeyer is saying that this is pretty close, then maybe save your hundred bucks for something else, like putting it towards a really good soundbar or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, I think it's interesting that they aren't really doing a 55 here or something in the 50 range that's equivalent. And I think that kind of says that maybe we're at the point now where if you're taking TV seriously for your movie viewing and such that 65 is where you should be looking. Well, I I do think that 65 is becoming the more popular size. I I also find it hilarious that you say that because uh, a friend of mine who who also listens to the show, his kids recently broke his 55 inch TV. And so he, he's been looking at getting uh, the LG C1 OLED, just, just like you and I have. And I said, well, you, you have to get the 65. It's yeah. a crime in 48 states to not buy a bigger TV when buying a new TV. <laughs> he, he wasn't really buying that argument. So I think That's he's going to get a 55. Oh, no. It's what was available and it is cheaper. And apparently the, the space where he has the TV, it's not that big of a space. So, Okay. It's been years since I've been in his house, thanks pandemic. So I can't really qual I, I can't really comment on whether or not he should have gotten the sixty five, other than to say you should always go bigger. <laughs> yeah. 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 So so there you have it. The Vizio M series Quantum X. Pretty good uh mid range TV there for you. So let's move on to some audio news. I, I mentioned sound bars. You should never ever uh skimp out on the sound. You've, you've got to have good sounding sound or else it's really going to degrade your experience of, of watching movies and TV and, and games. And Sony has yet another sound bar. They've been rolling these out like crazy this year. This is what I guess I'm going to call their entry level Atmos sound bar. Maybe. Let me go through the features and we'll get to the price and then you can yeah. tell me if you call this entry level. But it's 
probably the lowest in the chain. It is the Sony HTA3000 is the model number. They have a 5,000 and a 7,000. That 7,000 is $1,500, by the way, for their soundbar. So this is a 3.1 channel soundbar. So it's uh, three independent front speakers, which uh, that discrete center channel speaker really matters because that's how you get clear dialogue. And uh, it says that it has two built-in subwoofers, but even in our show notes, I put the word subwoofers in quotes because how big could these things be in this little soundbar? And it does do Atmos, but this is all virtual because it does not have discrete upward firing speakers or anything like that. And it doesn't natively come with surrounds or anything like that either, although it does support discrete uh, wireless surround sound speakers. Uh, they Sony makes two different lines of speakers. You can pay $350 or I believe $600 for a pair of surround speakers that would connect to this. And they they achieve surround sound and that all-important all height channel for, for the Dolby Atmos sound by using what they call their 360 spatial sound mapping technology. And this is their version of technology that that uses a microphone built into the soundbar that can then listen. It basically just listens to itself and how the sound sounds in your room and then can, you know, does all sorts of processing on the video to change how things sound so that what they say is that it creates phantom speakers around your room. This isn't brand new technology. Lots of manufacturers claim to do this, but Sony tends to do this fairly well. Yeah, and we've been in CES demos where they've had soundbars that did this kind of sound-throwing technique to create a virtual surround experience. And it's been really impressive. Now, of course, when we're in those demos, we're in a perfectly rectangular space with a perfectly flat back wall that is going to nicely reflect that. And most family rooms that open into a larger open space aren't going to offer said experience. So your mileage may vary. For sure. Now, this does support pretty much every other feature that I could possibly think that I would want in a soundbar. It uses HDMI EARC to connect or an optical cable if you want that. It has USB. It has Bluetooth 5. It's got Wi-Fi, uh, which means that it also supports your audio, your digital audio assistance. So the one from Google and the one from Amazon both work here. It has Chromecast built in, and it can even be included in a Chromecast speaker group, which is really nice. NVIDIA Shield still can't do that. So all of that sounds pretty great. I'm curious what you think about the price, though. This is going to be available September 18th for $699. What do you think? It's the Sony tax. I mean, you're going to pay a premium for Sony technology, even though Sony isn't winning the home electronics game anymore. They're still throwing the Sony prices on there. So it'll be curious to see how this does. But I think it's a little much, but it's not surprising for Sony. Yeah. 3.1 is the thing that kind of, I don't know, turns me 
a little bit sour here. Three one, that's arguably like that doesn't literally mean that it's three speakers in there. It's just that there's three channels that they're representing with the various different cones, the various speakers that they have. It's kind of like the one you even said, there's two subwoofers right. representing that one. So I'm assuming they have a lot of good sound technology in here, but yeesh, $700. Yeesh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably not one that I would be uh, looking for in my house, but I don't know. It's an option and it's certainly cheaper than their other options. Yeah. Now I say this, you know, knowing that I bought a Sonos Arc. So how much better is that really? Because it's also doing the whole virtual sound throwing thing, but it includes all the Sonos goodness. Right. And that's 900 MSRB? 800? I think it's 900. Uh, I can never not remember. Yeah. Something I got it like on that. sale when I had the discount. Thing, so. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, let's move on to a couple of gaming stories. I wanted to put this first story in the video section. Richard forced me to put it into the gaming section. Forced. We we had a little like thumb war. It's true. He fought me. He threatened somehow me. Somehow I won. Virtually from 10 hour drive away. Yeah. So, uh, we've got a new display, which is why I wanted to put it in video, uh, from LG. LG's created a new OLED panel for specific. I mean, this is really for computer monitors. It is 45 inches, but it is a 21 to nine ratio. So that is an ultra wide monitor. It is 1440p resolution. It's OLED and it's curved. It's also 240 hertz refresh rate with G Sync and FreeSync and a peak brightness of 1000 nits. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it sounds so good. Like just the panel alone sounds amazing. They worked on this display or with, with on this panel. With Corsair. Corsair is making their own version of a monitor with this panel in it. Corsair had to make it one step cooler. Theirs has retractable handles on the side of the of the monitor that you can then use to make this either a flat monitor or a curved monitor. And at any I assume at any point of curvature between flat and 800 r which is pretty curved that's kind of cool you're giving me this look like are you serious (laughs) yeah because i mean that just seems so gimmicky do you remember that big huge ultra wide tv and i think it was lg that was showing it one year on the wall and it was motorized and with your remote you could go from completely flat to various degrees of curvature in your home theater. Mm, I do. And we're like, wow, that's really cool, but that's also completely a gimmick. Yes. Yes. Here's the th- well, here's the thing. For for basically as long as curved displays have been around, I've said curved displays as televisions are dumb. I'm always sitting too far away 
for it to be an immersive experience on a totally, TV. Totally. But for a computer monitor, it can actually work well because yeah. you're sitting so much closer. Yeah. I, for the record, all of my computer monitors now are curved displays. Really? Yeah. None In of my mine. studio, <laughs> downstairs, Edward's office, any any computer display we have in this home is a curved display now. Hmm. So none of them are made by Apple. That is correct. Huh. Interesting. Their, their, their displays are way too expensive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the stands alone. Right. <laughs> you could buy another display for that. <laughs> right. So I, I think this is cool for people who, so I, I'm, their argument is, that maybe for productivity work you want it flat, and for gaming you want it curved. It, you you don't buy the argument. I don't that buy that. It, I don't buy that. Flat curved is useful regardless. I think the benefit here is that depending on your configuration and space and distance from the screen, you can set it to be optimal for your configuration. I don't think this is the kind of thing that you could or necessarily would want to be changing regularly that just doesn't make any sense to me but setting it so that it's best for you that's great like you know choose the curve that works best in your environment i like that for sure i just think it's absurd that you're going to just change it constantly i don't see that <laughs> happening i i don't think you're going to be changing it constantly but i think their idea is that you would have it flat while you're working during the day and then you curve it when you're playing games at night yeah but, fair enough but we digress because that's not even what lg is talking about well that was no. the corsair product that is the corsair product using the same display but there there will be at least two monitors with with this display in it one from lg one from corsair maybe more uh that are all going to be on display at ifa a very big uh consumer electronic show happening starting September 2nd, I believe it's in Germany. Um, and it's, I say consumer electronics, but EVA tends to be more computer focused. So we're going to see these and a lot more monitors on display at EVA and hopefully get some pricing and availability for some of these things. There are more stories that I could have put in here, but none of them have all of the details because they're waiting until EVA to fully announce everything. But this story was too cool not to talk about this week. So if they do announce pricing and availability next week, we'll come back with a quick update for that. Okay. Uh, one quick story that I think a lot of people will be surprised that I put in here. Uh, for the first time in years, I'm actually going to update you on the latest games with gold for Xbox. If you are a Xbox gold subscriber or if you have Game Pass Ultimate, that would include Xbox Live Gold. You get four free games a month. Two notable things happening for September. One is that this is the last month that they're going to include Xbox 360 games in in with Games with Gold. From now on, it'll just be Xbox One games and hopefully some Xbox Series X games eventually. But the other interesting thing here is that for literally the first time in a year, maybe two years, maybe longer, maybe since they introduced Game Pass, <laughs> there's actually a game that you should go and get. Uh, 
really the only one that matters here is a game called Portal 2. It's an Xbox 360 game follow-up to one of the coolest uh, sort of first-person action puzzle games. Like, I don't play puzzle games regardless of what other words you want to throw in front of the word puzzle. I don't play puzzle games, except for Portal. Portal was amazing. And Portal 2, which for some strange reason I've still never played, is even better. Like, everyone says it's even better. And it's going to be free on Xbox, Games with Gold, between September 16th and September 30th. So go and grab that. Yeah, like, I'm going to set a calendar event for this because (laughs) I missed when they had Portal available, and I wanted that because this is the kind of game that I love. This is that whole three-dimensional puzzle maze thing going on. I I always wanted to play this, so I'm absolutely going to get this. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to remind me about this, too, because I'm going to be on... (laughs) vacation when i can get this so i need oh, you right. to send me a little reminder just in case <laughs> okay <laughs> all right and the last story this one's more real news i guess sony is increasing the cost of the playstation 5 in some regions let me list off these regions for you richard europe the uk the middle east africa asia latin america canada do you notice any regions missing there um no there's one really the united states oh it's- latin america i see i see the way that broke on the line <laughs> i saw america and canada oh interesting huh yeah weird yeah raising prices on the playstation 5 basically everywhere except for the united states and they I, I wrote in the notes blaming this, but I, that, that's probably more negative sounding than it actually is. Uh, th- their reasons for it are global inflation. Yep. Yeah, that, that sounds legit. And no, no, no. It's only in the U.S. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> well, I won't no, go there's, there. There's no inflation in the U.S., I, I think is what we're saying. Um, and adverse currency trends, uh, which from like I am I am by no means an economic expert, but I've been hearing that it's the yen in japan right that the yen has not been doing well well true and the u.s dollar has been doing extremely well the u.s dollar is at one of its all-time highs compared to uh other currencies around the world and in fact we're kind of equal with the euro right now which hasn't been the case for a while so um yeah right so this is going to sound weird, but the price is increasing by roughly the equivalent of $50. I'm saying that in dollars, even though the place that uses dollars is the only place where it's not increasing. But that's fairly significant. I mean, that's a 10% yeah, that's a increase. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. So the the other important thing to note here, though, is that almost immediately, Microsoft and Nintendo both came out and said, yeah, we're not doing that. We're not raising the prices on our consoles. And I have to think that Sony was like, we're going to do, we're going to announce this. And then I'm sure the other guys are going to follow suit because why wouldn't they? And then they didn't. (laughs) And Sony's left looking bad and everybody else is looking good. What a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of just been the thing with, with Sony and the PlayStation for 
a really long time. So it's unfortunate. Like it's especially unfortunate if you're outside of the United States, maybe, maybe the one potential bright spot is, does this help with availability? Does this supply, does this help with supply? Like it obviously doesn't increase supply, but if it's more expensive everywhere else, does that mean that more will be available because people won't be buying as many of them? I don't know. It'd be nice if you could actually get one easily in the United States or anywhere else for that matter. Don't know. Yeah. I mean, the the only thing, I mean, technically again, back to economics 101, you raise the price, demand should go down. So they're not raising the price in the U S maybe that means that uh, demand will go down elsewhere. More supply would be available for the U S and they could make it available here. Who knows if that is in fact going to happen. Right. That's all theoretical. Sure is. Yeah. Uh, theoretical economics from two guys that did not study economics. <laughs> Actually, I did take economics as part of my business minor, but anyway. <laughs> but it wasn't your major. No. <laughs> or even your outright minor. <laughs> no. So, all right. Well, that's it for our news this week. Uh, if you would like to support the show, the best way you can do that is just tell somebody. I, I was listening to another podcast earlier this morning that is wildly more popular than ours. And they have Patreon, they, they have ads, they have all of that stuff. And they also said, if you love the show, the best way you can support us is just tell a friend. That's the way that people find out about podcasts. I completely agree. So please let somebody uh, that you know, know about this show so that we can broaden this community even more. That's and a good idea. Not only do you agree, but apparently all the pundits who study how the numbers work in podcasting also agree that that's how it works. It ain't the reviews, although we do like reviews. We They're do great. like reviews, especially the five-star reviews. But if if you want to help us the most, it's just telling people that's the best way. Right. And we're never going to coach you to give us a five-star review because that would be tacky. <laughs> right. Okay, well, uh, enough with our self-promotion. Let's move on to what's going on in our entertainment centers. All right. Well, in my entertainment center, it turns out that I completely forgot that I had an old Roku device. Roku, however, didn't. They sent me a message about two weeks ago saying, hey, your Roku device isn't going to be supported anymore. I'm thinking to myself, well, over the course of the Roku years, I've probably had four or five different Roku devices. What Roku device might they be talking about? <laughs> and I scoured said email and found no indication whatsoever about <laughs> what they were, in fact, talking about. So as I'm one to do, I go on Twitter and complain about it and say, hey, it'd be really great if you let me know what device you're talking about. And they said, oh, well, send us your serial number and we'll be able to provide you with the information as to whether that is relevant to you or not. And I'm like, why don't you just let us know what devices? Like, historically, <laughs> this is the company that has more SKUs than any other streaming manufacturer. But they can't bother to tell you which ones are affected. And I happen to know from a voice on the inside that, in fact, they know what devices I have. 
Of course and they, they could have let me know which of my devices were not going to be supported going forward, but they didn't bother doing that. Well, a week and a half later, they put out a new message that said, oh, the 3500X is no longer supported. Just to clarify the last message that we sent, I guess I wasn't the only person that complained. <laughs> Roku has like 475 different devices. They right? can't just say your Roku isn't supported anymore. Right. That old Roku you have? Yeah, we're not supporting that anymore. Jeez. <laughs> so uh, I found said device. And yeah, I haven't used it in years, so it doesn't really matter. But if you have a 3500X, it's like eight years old or something like that, and you probably shouldn't be using it anymore. Anyway, I think it was HD and probably nothing more than that. So maybe it's time to get rid of that thing. All right. As far as watching television series, I finished Westworld season four, and I would rank this probably as my second favorite Westworld season. It was very interesting. It had some really cool reveals. And um, I did what I needed to do this season with Westworld, which was to make sure that I didn't listen to Court Killer's spoil in time episodes about Westworld until after the whole season was over. Because they have this tendency to try to second guess what's going on like from the beginning of any season and say, oh, I'll bet this and this and this. Oh, and I heard this and this. And I'm like, you're spoiling ahead. Right. I don't want to think about what possibilities you may have heard about because that's a friggin' spoiler before what I've actually seen. Right. So I waited until I was finished the entire season until I listened to Court Killer's perspective on this. And I'm really glad I did that. Because I thoroughly enjoyed their perspective on it after the fact. <laughs> I really think that's the the way you have to do that 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 sort of thing with with shows nowadays. Because the people who are are doing these you know in depth analysis of everything, they're getting too good at at trying to guess what's going on in these shows, and yeah. they do yeah. regularly guess exactly what it is. And I don't. I don't really want to guess it ahead of time. I want to be surprised by it at the time that the writers want me to be surprised by it. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. So uh, that worked out well in both cases. Uh, Star Trek Lower Decks is back. I'm so happy. And the first episode of the new season, season three, is so, so good. Absolutely loved that. I finally, now that I have finished the series, got back to another old one that I hadn't finished, and that is The Orville. So I am now back to watching uh, The Orville New Horizons. That's their season three on Hulu. Thoroughly enjoying it. Although, I will say, at the start of the season, I was a little frustrated because, and I, I can still see this, it's pretty obvious that the budget is not as good as it had been in the past. The uh, the scenes where there are, and I forget what you call them, but basically uh, like a big picture behind them instead of an actual set, and they have to blend that with the physical set, it isn't as 
smooth as it might be as if they had shot on location. And even the new set for the supposedly refit Orville is not anywhere near as cool as I think the old one was. So uh, it's still good. And the the writing is so good on that show. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Keep being up with Big Brother. Watched a little more Bob Newhart. Uh, saw a really cool episode of Bob Newhart. Actually, two so far in this season. In a rare moment where the cameraman pulled too far back. And you actually see spikes on the soundstage. Those are the tape marks that the producers and stage crew mark on the soundstage for where stuff should go. and. The camera's never supposed to see that, <laughs> but somehow that ended up on primetime television 40 years ago or 45 years ago. So we're seeing it now in these reruns. They didn't bother to edit it out. And I love that. I love that we're seeing all that original kind of, you know, authenticity for what it's worth. What we do in the shadows season four, almost over. There's two episodes left. It's been so, so good this season. Thoroughly enjoying that. And we uh, just watched the second episode and recorded our uh, Let's Talk About Thrones episode about the second episode of House of the Dragon. That is getting really good. Loving that. Still listen, listening to Steve Jobs. That is a 46, 47 hour book on Audible. So it's going to take me a little while. Josh, how about you? Well, I. I, I want to jump back one one step to something you watched in in House of the Dragon. Mm-hmm. There, there are two episodes in now. Is that right? Yes. So I and they're on Sunday nights. Yes. Okay. So it must have been episode one had uh, a a scene with a pregnant character. Oh, right. Yes. Um. Here's what I've heard about that. If you're pregnant, or there's someone in your house who's pregnant, don't watch it. Don't watch that episode. Yeah. Or at least it's, don't watch that scene. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that's what I heard about it from a friend of mine who has a pregnant wife. Oh. Yeah. 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 You may want to hold off on that. You may want to just start with episode two. <laughs> Cause you probably are gonna learn enough going in. Yeah. It, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And we do talk about that on the first episode of Let's Talk About Thrones. Yeah. Okay. So I uh, I, I, I want to ask you a, a, a question and see if see if this would be weird. See if you think this is at all weird, Richard. So I mentioned uh, at least a couple of episodes ago that I had been playing the what I think is the latest Life is Strange game, Life is Strange True Colors, and that I got about three fifths of the way through it. And then I stopped and I haven't fully decided if I'm going to go and finish it or just watch it on YouTube. Yep. yep. This morning, I opened up my email and I have an email from Square Enix, the publishers of Life is Strange. Hey, um, we noticed you haven't finished the game yet. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> did you think that was cool or creepy? Well, and I asked because I am working with a client that has this very technology right now. And I'm grappling with it a little bit. Right. I mean, I've seen it used in a lot of like software as a service situations and things like that. I've never seen it in a video game before. Never. And it doesn't creep me out. Like 
of course, of course they know that I haven't finished it. They have metrics for all of this stuff. They know how many people are finishing their games. And for all, like, I don't remember, but it could be that when I first launched the game, it said, log in with your Square Enix account. And if it did, I would have said, okay. Uh, or maybe they just know based on the fact that I'm playing on an Xbox. And maybe at some point I paired my Xbox account to a Square Enix account. At the end of the day, I don't really care and I don't really find it that creepy because I know they're they're tracking these metrics and stuff like that. Obviously a lot of times we want that stuff anonymized, but in this case, like it is kind of a helpful thing. Like maybe I do want to finish it and I just kind of got lost track of time or what I I don't know. Yeah, it's a hard it's call. Good. It's a hard call. It did so did did it change your th- thought or opinion on that at all like are you willing to go back or are you still on the fence um i i i kind of keep bouncing back and forth and i don't think this message changed my my view on that at all i just found it really interesting because Mm. i don't know that like as long as if i decide not to finish it as long as they don't send me 17 more messages over the next two months. Yeah, yeah. as long as it's not like my experience with the hook at Restoration Hardware that they reminded me about twice a day, every day, and ultimately caused me to unsubscribe from all mailings because I didn't really want this hook. Yeah, um, <laughs> as long as it's not that bad. Right. Right. I mean, I do get email from Square Enix multiple times a week, but it's across lots of different games and and products and stuff. This was the first like this one. Just thought it was interesting. Uh, In terms of what I've actually played, uh, I went to play uh, Shadowrun Hong Kong again, and it seemed like my save file got corrupted in a really weird way. I I loaded it up and one of my characters didn't have a weapon that I was pretty certain they had. And it was making the game. I I was like, all right, let's just see if I can be fine without it. And I wasn't. It, it, It made the game way harder than I wanted it to. And now I'm not super far into the game. I was only an hour ish into the game, but I tried loading from my other two save points and not, I, I didn't have that weapon in any of those save files either. So I think I'm going to have to just start the game over again, which an hour into it is not a big deal. But it makes me nervous that this is something like this is going to happen again when I'm 10 hours into the game. And I'm definitely not starting over at that point. So I think I figured it out. I think the game manufacturer has lost the licensing rights to that weapon. <laughs> see you know more about gaming than you give yourself credit for (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i i haven't played any more of that i did get back to play a little bit more of forza horizon 5 with the hot wheels expansion it is uh, it's a lot of fun there's a lot of fun things to do there uh in terms of stuff that i watched we finished ms marvel oh man it's so good. It like <laughs> so want to start that. It's so good. And I, I think that's the show that I'm going to open up whenever, which this like never happens because it's still pandemic times. But 
whenever someone comes over to my house and I want to show them how great OLED is, because the lighting in every single scene is gorgeous and amazing. Nice. And like, I'm, I'm just sitting there watching the season finale and, and just going like, look at that really bright light in the darkness. And there is no bleed. It just looks gorgeous. Like it just looks so it's gorgeous. Probably also in HDR then. Yes. Nice. Yeah. It is so pretty and nice. a great show. So definitely watch Ms. Marvel. Cool sidebar there. I was just watching a video review of the new Disney cruise ship. There is a tie in here. They have a Marvel dining room where there's all this Marvel themed stuff going on with a bunch of screens and they're playing clips and there's different characters. And I swear I saw a moment with her in one of the scenes in that dining room, which, which like indicates that they have plans to take this character forward, which I love. Sure. Yep. Okay. You're not going to spoil anything for me. Right. Right. All right. I'm I'm not going to spoil anything. I will. The the one thing that I'll say is that the, the season finale does have the equivalent of a post credit scene. So stick around. It's Marvel. Of course it does. Of course. Yeah. So uh, watch that. And last night, um, maybe because I was annoyed with Shadowrun, who knows, I decided not to play Xbox and to instead watch something. And uh, a friend of mine recently recommended that I watch, is it called Sports Night? The Aaron Sorkin show from like forever ago? Yes. I really want to watch that. It's not available on any of the streaming services. Nope. You have to buy it. Yeah. So I didn't watch that and instead opened up Apple TV because I I, I was thinking about Ms. Marvel and thinking, I want to watch something that looks really good. And everything I've ever watched on Apple TV has looked really good. So I'm going to open that up and, and see what's in there. And I saw Severance and thought, everyone's been saying I should watch Severance, so I should watch it. I watched the first two episodes. I don't know that I'm hooked. Well, I also want to contrast this to the fact that you just watched Ms. Marvel, which probably made you feel really good. And then you're going to watch Severance, <laughs> which, which does is the exact opposite. going to make you feel really awful because the situation therein is completely messed up. Yeah, for sure. So that dichotomy alone could skew your initial perspective on this show. That's true. But so does this show, like so many other shows of late, have like this this episode threshold where you're like, you have to watch through the first four. And if you make it to four and 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 you like it, then you're hooked. Is it is it like that? Or is it like if you're not hooked after the first episode, you're probably not gonna love this show? I don't know that it does. That's a really good question. And I don't feel like it does. I felt like it was a slow burn and every episode gets a little bit more real. And you're like a little bit more, holy wow, this is messed up. <laughs> and so the more messed up it is, the more engaged you are and mm-hmm. want to find out what's going on next. And it does pay off, but it's it's not that 
hook that so many shows have. Like, uh, say, you know, Ted Lasso, if you're not in by episode three, you're not going to get it. Right. Right. Okay. But it does pay off. Oh, it pays off. Okay. I'm going to try and stick with it then. (laughs) We're in a little bit of a lull before a lot of other really good games come out. So I I do have some time that I can dedicate to watching TV. (laughs) Cool. Cool. All right. And that's that's it for me. I haven't even uh, touched on any of my audio books yet. I kind of got behind on podcasts. So that's it for what I've been watching, reading, playing, all that sort of stuff. So uh, that does it for everything for this this week's episode. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can do that in numerous ways. We're on Twitter at Richard Gunther, at Josh Pollard, and at DigimediaZone. And all of our other contact information is over at the website, www.thedigitalmediazone.com, where we have show notes with everything that we talked about, even the crazy rollerblade wheels that uh, we talked about in the listener feedback section <laughs> uh, and and everything else that we discussed. It's all there. And uh, the other thing that's over there is Richard's, well, one of Richard's other podcasts called Homan. Richard, what's going on with Homan? And that's the episode with Kent buying his new home. And it's funny, I listened back to the episode after it was fully produced and thought, wow, I feel like it was basically like just a big counseling session. Right. Like he said, sat on the couch and said, you know, I'm really thinking about some lighting and I don't know what I should do, Doc. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I go off for a while about things you should think about. We also had a really, really interesting question from a listener about how to handle new wiring in a smart home. And that got us really thinking about stuff too. So uh, I, I, I enjoyed the episode. I think others will too. Yeah, I I really loved this episode. It's it the the question that you're referring to was really interesting and uh and also it gave you an opportunity to uh to think a little bit more about how things could be done better in the future and, and you know because this is a passion area for yours and and you've got good ideas and so it, it's fun to to hear those types of things from time to time. Uh, also don't ever go into counseling because a good counselor doesn't do all of the talking, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did a lot of the talking. Look at the waveform after the whole thing was done. I did most of the talking. Yeah. But it, it, it was, it was a really good episode. Uh, really great for anybody uh, working on or planning on a, a new home soon. All right. Well, we also record the show live. We, typically do that in fact we did it tonight tuesdays at 8 30 p.m eastern but sometimes it's wednesdays who knows follow us on twitter to know when the show is going to be live so that you can join in the chat room and be a part of the show we also uh except for last week when i screwed up the video have been posting these on youtube for you to check out there also so uh you can do that and subscribe to us over on youtube also but that is going to do it for episode 598. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.